0: When you uh, mention the word prayer, to the vast majority of people, whether they're followers of Jesus or not, we typically immediately think of asking God for something. That's kind of our lens through which we view prayer, is asking God for things. We've tried over the last two weeks to dispel that uh, myth that prayer is just asking God for things. Prayer is communicating with God, talking with God. It's a relationship that God wants with us. And so we talk to God about everything and we have access to God continually and He is involved and, and wants to be engaged in every moment and facet of our life and prayer is the means by which we share that life, our life, with God. And it also involves not only us communicating with God, things that we're thinking about and doing, but also listening, as we talked about last week, listening by the Holy Spirit to what God is saying to us. That's part of prayer. But ultimately, there is a sense deep within each of us that we do not have what we need, oftentimes, to just handle life, to deal with the situations and circumstances. As the old saying goes, there's no atheists in foxholes, right? Every human being at points finds themselves in a place where we cry out to God and we ask for something. I don't know if you can remember in your own life the first time that you had a specific request Of God, and He answered that request right away. But I will never forget that moment in my own life. My uh, cousin and I worked together on our uh, family farm, and we had just gotten home from youth camp. And had the kind of experience we were just hearing these kids share about. It. And so we were really kind of fresh and energetic in our uh, desire to walk with God. And we were assigned on the farm to go out to a very remote cornfield and walk the rows. We were irrigating, it's uh, walking through hot corn rows, counting rows, changing gates, moving pipe. And we had been sent out to this very remote field with an old World War II jeep. And uh, the thing was archaic. I can't believe we still had it. This was the lowest on the totem pole, and the farm got the Jeep. And so we got the Jeep, and we did our work out in the far-off field. And then when we went to get back in it, to come back to the farm, it didn't start. Now, this happened on occasion, and so there was a list of things that we had been told that you do. You know, you try this, and then you try this, and you try this. And usually, 99% of the time, one of those things worked. I mean... To this point, we tried all of those things and nothing worked. And all of a sudden it came to me, why don't we pray that God will start this Jeep? And I said to my cousin, let's pray. And he said, let's lay hands on the Jeep. I mean, we were going to really go all out, right? We laid our hands on that Jeep and we said, God, we're out here in the middle of nowhere and we need you to start this Jeep. And we got done and we went and turned the key and sure enough, started right away. And I will never forget that. We went, you know, of course there's no top on this thing. We're hooping and hollering all the way down the road and we run to tell the rest of the family, you won't believe it, God just started the Jeep. Now in the scheme of life, that was a very small and insignificant thing. I mean, you look back and you say, really, you prayed about starting a Jeep? But I will tell you that was a faith-building moment for me. I knew that God heard and answered and cared about the things that were happening in my life. And that was a beginning, I think, of just a continual journey of understanding that I can ask God for things, that He's present and He's there and He cares. And and so that becomes a normal part, hopefully, of, of our life is asking God for various things. Now, there is an incredible promise in the scriptures related to prayer. I, I, this is one of the most amazing promises that God has made to us. It's found in 1 John chapter 5, and we're going to put it on the screen, and I invite you to read it together with me, this promise. Let's read it out loud. This is the confidence which we have before him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked from him. Is that not incredible? What it basically says is that when we pray according to the will of God, When we pray and ask God for the things that are in keeping with what he wants us to pray, that he hears us and that he will grant those requests. That's a bold, bold statement. And I hope we believe that this morning. But it does raise the very, very important question is, what should we be asking for? that's in keeping with the will of God. Because if what God's promise is to answer the requests that are in line with his will, then it seems like it would be very, very important for us to know what God wants us to pray, what he tells us we can pray and ask him for. Well, Jesus gave us very, very clear instruction about that. He told us exactly what to ask God for? And that's what we want to look at for the next few minutes. Turn your your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. Now as we look at what Jesus instructs us about praying, what to ask for, uh, I would encourage you, as I've been doing myself, to use this instruction to evaluate our own prayer life. So as we go through this, think about what you're asking God for, and then sort of see what God, Jesus tells us we should be asking God for, and and there may be an ouch or two, okay, this morning. And I, I want to be very clear about this, that I am not speaking to you this morning as someone who's got this all figured out. I mean, this is a journey we're on together to learn how to talk with God, how to ask God, how to be about the things that he's about and have my, our prayers in alignment with his good purposes. So I come to you as a fellow learner this morning. Now, you will recognize uh, this um, text as and as often called the Lord's prayer. It's not the Lord's prayer. If you wanted to do the Lord's prayer be John seventeen, right, where Jesus is praying. This is Jesus' instruction to his followers on how to pray, and this same instruction comes twice in the gospels, once in Matthew chapter six and then here in Luke eleven. Sometimes, of course, in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, these are synoptic gospels, so they often you know, parallel and tell the same story, but I want to be clear here that this is not the same situation. This isn't the same point in time that Jesus tells us here in Luke 11 as it was in Matthew 6. Matthew 6 came in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is teaching in this extended time with his disciples on the mountain about a lot of things related to the kingdom, and part of what he taught them was how to pray. That's actually a, a fuller uh, uh, explanation. He used more words there. This, we're told here in verse, chapter 11, verse 1, comes in response at a different time by a question from one of his disciples. So look at verse 1. It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples to pray. One of the things that would have been very evident to the disciples, those who were around Jesus, is the priority he put on prayer. Again and again and again, Jesus would step away from the crowds, from the disciples, and go off by himself and he'd pray. And I'm sure for the disciples there's a lot of curiosity, like, what are you doing while you're out there? And It's interesting because we do not have this recorded in Scripture, but evidently it was well known among the disciples that John had taught his disciples, John the Baptist, how to pray. So this disciple asked Jesus, teach us to pray like John taught his disciples to pray, and Jesus again gives the same instruction. Now again, as we uh, go into the content of what to ask God for, what we know as the Lord's Prayer, it's important that because these are very different I think that it's pretty obvious that what's not that this is not just a prayer to be recited in sort of a rote sort of a way because the wording is different in both places. Jesus would have said if this is the prayer exactly how you're supposed to say it, it would have been exactly the same in his teaching in Matthew as it is in Luke. So he's talking here about what to pray about. Now there's nothing wrong with reciting the Lord's Prayer. If you recite Luke 11, you're probably a guy because it's got about 40 fewer words. We don't like to talk. Most of the time. But it's different, okay? There's a general instruction here. There's nothing wrong with reciting the Lord's Prayer, but that's not really the, the point here, I think. I've done the Lord's Prayer with my two youngest sons as a part of our bedtime routine for you know many years through elementary school and middle school. Now they go to bed later than I do. I don't know if they pray that before they go to bed or not. I'm sound asleep. But... Let's look at what he tells us, okay? Both our approach to God and then what to ask him for. So Jesus, in response to this question, verse 2 says, And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. This is our approach towards God. And our approach to God is uh, one of the recognition that God is both a father who is deeply Uh, Loves us, involved, caring, safe, for us. He's everything we'd want in a father. But he's also hallowed. He's also uh, transcendent. He's far above us. He's all-powerful, all-knowing. He's the creator and sustainer of all things. And uh, we should be very thankful that our father in heaven is both of those things. Right, So I'm a father, and I love my children, but my children can ask me for things, but I am not all-knowing, all-powerful. I cannot do for them many, many things. So if God were loving and kind, but not all-powerful, you could ask him for all you wanted, but he wouldn't be able to deliver those things. If God were only so uh, transcendent and holy and other than, without being father, we would be too afraid to step into his presence and dare to ask for anything. But he is both father and hallowed. He's both transcendent and deeply involved in caring as a father. He's both of those things. And that's the awareness when we go in to pray. Whenever we're talking with God, we should be aware that we're talking to our hallowed father, our sanctified set-apart other than father. And that's really, really powerful. So what should we be asking God for? And there's four things he mentions here. Four realms of prayer that we should be asking God about. Verse uh, The end of verse 2. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Matthew adds to that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, it's very interesting to me that this is the first thing Jesus said we should be praying about is the coming of his kingdom, okay? It's not something we tag on at the end after we've talked about all our needs. Start first with praying about the coming of his kingdom. What is the kingdom of God? Well, the kingdom of God is the good rule and reign of God through Jesus. Jesus came uh, in the first time announcing the arrival of the kingdom and declaring himself to be king. King of, and ultimately that he was wanted to be God's uh, the ruler of the, the world, that he was the creator of it and he wanted to rule the world as the good rule of God. He came the first time in order to be established as the king to defeat sin and Satan and death by his own sacrifice. We know from the New Testament story, the biblical story, that he's going to come back again and his reign will be fully established and the kingdom will be fully realized and all things will be restored and made new and whole and Jesus will reign. And that's what we all long for is that good rule and reign of God that will ultimately come at Jesus' second coming. But I think here he has in mind that we pray for the coming of God's kingdom Both that he would come again and fully establish his reign, that should be part of our praying. Jesus, come quickly, come again, come and restore everything that's broken. That should be a deep longing in our hearts. But I think there's also a coming of the kingdom now, there's also the, the kingdom is advancing now as people put their faith and trust in Jesus, they are transferred out of the kingdom of darkness, we're told, into the kingdom of his beloved son, into the kingdom of Jesus. And he becomes our king and we become a part of the kingdom. And so our prayer is that God would grow his kingdom, that it would advance and multiply and more and more people would come under God's good reign and rule by putting their faith and trust in Jesus. This is what the Father is up to in the world. This is what God is up to, right? This is his work in the world to redeem and restore all the brokenness, all that's that's wrong, by offering, by, by inviting people to put their faith and trust in him and then giving us his spirit. So when we're asking God to grow his kingdom, we're asking God to bring more and more people into the kingdom and to make his rule and reign even in our own hearts and lives, right? That, w- that we would allow him more and more to rule and reign in us. Less of us, more of him. And I think all of that is implied here. So on a very practical level, I think, think out of concentric circles. As you and I pray, we should pray, God, uh, let your rule and reign grow in my own life. And then I want you to rule and reign in my family, in my church. I want your rule and good rule and reign through Jesus to come to the people that don't know you, that are in my circle of friends, my neighborhood, my community, and ultimately into the world. So this is the first thing that Jesus says we should be praying about. We should be praying for the advance of his kingdom, for the gospel to take root. That, and then we're told that we should pray for those who are out working to see God's kingdom advance. And we're also to pray, Jesus said, for more workers. <laughs> so there's more people who are involved in building God's kingdom. We're also told in, in alignment with this prayer, this, this asking, that we should pray for kings and rulers and those in authority because they have an impact on the kingdom. It says that we should pray that we could live peaceable lives so that because God desires all men to come to a knowledge of him to be saved. So all of our praying for those who are in authority and kings and for our friends and for the advance of the gospel and for missionaries, all of that falls under the Lord, thy kingdom Come. Make your kingdom grow and come. And this, as, uh, because we are followers of Jesus, is our first priority in prayer. This is the family business. And we're heirs, right? We're sons of the king. This is our business. And so we're talking to God and asking him to do his good work, and we want to be a part of it. And so the last part of our prayer for thy kingdom to come should always be, God, what do you want me to do to grow your kingdom? So think about your own prayer life, and I thought about mine, is that do I always start by asking God about what he's doing in the world and asking him to do more, to grow it, and make myself available to be a part of it? That's our first realm of prayer that we should be asking God for, your kingdom come. Verse 3, give us each day our daily bread. This is an understanding that we need daily provision, right? There are the things that we need, that we uh, God ultimately is our provider, and so we're asking him to give us what we need for each and every day. Now, in the old uh, uh, times, in the New Testament times, obviously there's no refrigerators, there's no storage, so you, making provision was really a very important thing every day. You couldn't stave it or save it or store it, so, you know, God, today I need your provision was a very real thing in the material realm. Now we may not have the same sense of need in the material realm, but we do have a need for God's daily provision, don't we? Strength, wisdom, courage, what we need in the moment for every moment that we face We need God to be providing for us all the way through each and every day. We are very much in need of God's provision. And I can think of, you know, a hundred thousand times over the course of my life where I have been aware of, I need you, Jesus, to help me in this moment. I need wisdom for this conversation. I need strength to do this thing you're asking me to do. And again and again and again, I need a word of encouragement today, God, because I'm discouraged. This is the daily provision that we should be asking God for. Give me today what I need to do what you've asked me to do. I remember a time in my life, uh, we were living with a lot of uncertainty as a family, and I was not sure you know, what the future held, and, and I was discouraged, and it didn't seem like we were seeing much happen, and I remember just saying, God, I just need encouragement today. And I had no, long, no sooner uttered that prayer than the phone rang and a friend 500 miles away said, you know, you were on my heart and mind today and I just wanted to call, let you know, we're praying for you. And it was just what I needed in the moment. That was the provision of God. This goes beyond just our individual provision. There's times when as a church or, uh, you know, maybe in your business that there there's a need for God to provide for us. We had a moment like uh, one of many moments here when we were building this auditorium. And we were $500,000 short of what we were needed just to make the construction payments and we had no idea where that was going to come from. And so we were, as elders, gathered in this room. Only part of the floor here was poured, but this section over here was poured, concrete. And we set our folding chairs right down here, section 5. It's a holy section right there. And we prayed for an extended period of time. God, we don't know what and where this is going to come from. We don't see anything that would... But, but we know you know what we need... And by faith, we just asked him to provide. And within just a matter of days, a neighbor to the east here called and said, hey, would you ever be interested in selling a part of that property on the far east side? And we said, well, what are you willing to pay? And it was exactly the dollar amount that we were short. Again and again and again, God provides. So our prayer should be, God, give me today. Give me in this moment. Give me this week, this month, this year. The provision I need to deal with what I 'm facing in my life. next he says, verse four, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who's indebted to us. A part of what we're asking God for on a regular basis is forgiveness. We sin and we fail, and we need to come before God on a regular basis, say, "God forgive me." right? Cleanse me from the offenses." that I have committed against you, and all sin, right, whether it's toward someone else or anything else is against God. And as God's children, we know that we are forgiven because of the work of Jesus, but he's asked us to come and confess that, to come and acknowledge our sin before him and to confess it before him and to ask for forgiveness. And when we do, he says he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from that unrighteousness. So a part of our asking for God on a, you know, every time we talk to Him is, God, forgive me, right? Make me aware of the things that I even say, do, and think that are offensive to you. Make me aware. And then I acknowledge and I confess that. Now, there's a very interesting caveat on this particular request of God. And that is, forgive me, God, as I forgive those who have done things towards me. And this is a consistent theme in Scripture. That God's forgiveness is tied to our willingness to forgive. Like we cry out to God for mercy and then show no mercy, that's not acceptable. That is a sin in and of itself. To not forgive is then a sin. So I have to confess that. And ultimately, I need to forgive others as I ask him to forgive me. So whenever we confess, we ought to say, okay, God, and who else do I need to forgive? Who do I need to forgive? The Barna organization is a Christian research organization that looks at the church and culture and the advance of the gospel, and there's a lot of great research. And I got an email about a month ago, and they had done a lot of research on forgiveness and mercy. And the reason for the email was that they were absolutely alarmed that Bible-believing, church-attending followers of Jesus were no different than the world in their willingness to forgive. That over one quarter of all Christians said there was someone that they would not or could not forgive. And they were so alarmed by it that they teamed up with another ministry to say, we have got to address this from a discipleship issue. We are... Continually asking God for forgiveness and mercy, but we must also, in the same token, be willing to forgive and show mercy. And that Jesus makes that very, very clear. Now, here's the last thing he says, end of verse four. And lead us not into temptation. Now, we all know that Jesus or God does not tempt us, okay? God is not enticing us to do evil. So that's not what this means. Matthew adds, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or from the evil one. So this is a prayer for God's protection and deliverance from the traps and tricks and schemes of the world and of Satan himself that would try to derail us, destroy us, defeat us. There are baited traps all over the place, aren't there not? The world has all kinds of enticing things that try to draw us off track, get us to move away from God, to think we can find life and fulfillment somewhere else. And and if we're not firm and strong and growing and maturing and depending on the Holy Spirit, if we're not crying out to Him for protection... And wisdom, we can fall quickly and easily, take the bait, and find ourselves defeated and discouraged and not very useful in the kingdom work. We understand this better, you know, today, right? Because I would say just in the last five years, would you not say that the the proliferation of schemes and scams is just unbelievable? Unbelievable. I mean I check my junk email every day where it sort of weeds out a lot of those things and there are literally hundreds of scams and schemes sent to every one of us every day we get phone calls at home you know you get the computerized voices you will be arrested if you don't call this number we're concerned about elderly people I call my mom I say mom do not answer the phone okay <laughs> don't answer the phone if it's important they'll leave a message and by the way Don't believe every message you get either, right? Call me before you answer the call. Because there's traps and schemes, there's people trying to take advantage, people seeking to steal and kill and destroy your life. It's a picture of what exactly was happening in the spiritual realm. And Jesus said we should pray every day for God's wisdom, right, and for the fullness of the Holy Spirit to stand against that. Everything we need, Peter said, we for life and for godliness has been given to us through Jesus. But he said you need to to continually focus on growing and maturing in your life so that we are not enslaved or entrapped, that we will not ever find ourselves um, not useful, not prepared in this world. So we need to ask God for this for ourselves, we need to ask God for this for the people that we care about, for people in our church, that God would protect us, that we would grow to maturity, that we would have wisdom and understanding from God, that we would be full of the Holy Spirit. When you read Paul's prayers in his letters to the churches, this is the focus of his prayer on most of the time. In Ephesians uh, chapter 3, he goes an extensive prayer that, that asks He says, this is what I'm praying for you, that God would fill you up with a knowledge of himself so that you would be full of Christ, that you would be able to stand firmly because you're full of the Spirit, you're full of wisdom. James said, when you lack wisdom, ask of God who gives generously. This is what this prayer is all about. God, give me wisdom. Help me to keep growing and maturing and to know and apply the truth in my life so that I am not caught up in a trap or a snare. These are the things that God has asked, told us we can pray about. These are the things that are praying in accordance with those. These aren't just nice suggestions from Jesus. Okay? Hey, here's some things you ought to pray about. He's saying these are the things that should be the focus of our prayer life. The advance of his kingdom, our daily provision, the forgiveness of our own sins and spiritual wisdom and protection so that we are not caught in a snare or trap. So how does your prayer life look compared to how Jesus told us to pray? There's two quick stories that follow this instruction here. And they tell us something about how we should pray. We've been told now what to pray, but now he talks about how we should pray. Two quick stories. Now, by the way, if you read the Matthew text, the teaching on what to pray is preceded by two quick short stories about how to pray. One, it says, go into secret. Pray in secret. Don't make a show of it. And the second was, keep it simple. Don't use a lot of meaningless words and repetition thinking you're going to get heard more from God. Just keep it simple. Let your request be known simply. That's what Matthew said. Here's the two quick stories in in Luke. Then he said to them, verse 5, suppose one of you has a friend and he goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has come to me from a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside... He answers and says, Do not bother me. The door has already been shut. My children and I are in bed, and I cannot give up and give you anything. Now, you've got to realize, it's probably a one-room house, probably 110 kids. The last thing you not need in the middle of the night is disruption. He says, No, nope, I'm tucked in. I'm not getting up. I'm not waking this whole clan up. I just got them to sleep. So he says, I tell you, Verse eight, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend. In other words, friendship with this man is not enough to get this guy out of bed in the middle of the night. But yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. That word persistence here, some of you might even have a different translation. It might say uh, shameless persistence. The actual word is shameless audacity. Because of your shameless audacity in asking and asking and asking and asking, he will get up. That's more powerful than the friendship. And notice what Jesus says in verse 9. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds And to him who knocks, it will be opened. The encouragement here from Jesus is to be shamelessly persistent in our praying to God. Shamelessly persistent. We are his children. And not just because of God's care for us and his friendship, but because of our persistence. It says, knock, seek, ask. Keep asking God. Be persistent. In your prayers. Second short story, verse 11. Now, suppose one of your fathers, good thing on Father's Day, a couple of father references here. Suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He would not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he asks for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? So here there's a, a child, and the child's hungry. Like, I need a fish, I need something to eat. I need an egg. I need something to nourish me. And he says, now the father, when asked for food, something that's good, that he needs, is not going to turn around and give him something harmful and dangerous, is he? Fathers don't do that. They don't say, oh, hey, I'm not going to give you any food, but by the way, here's a scorpion that could kill you. So he says, verse 13, If then you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I think the the core of this uh, teaching here on how to ask is that we should ask with the assurance that God will always give us his best. He'll give us his best. And what is the best thing that God has to give us? It is his very own presence. This isn't us needing to ask God, For the Holy Spirit, we know when we believe in Jesus, we immediately receive the Spirit. But this is saying God will give us the power and wisdom and fullness of the Spirit. He will give us himself when we ask, and that's the best. doesn't matter what we're going through. To know that God's in it with us, beside us, for us, walking the journey with us is the best. So we ask with assurance and confidence that God will give us his best. We ask with shameless persistence. So let me conclude with a couple of questions. Are there prayers that God does not answer? And the answer is yes, the ones that are never asked. Right? James said, you have not because you ask not. So if you don't ask God for anything, obviously he's not going to answer. So we ought to ask. Are there prayers that God says no to? Yes. As a matter of fact, in the very same text in James, he says, when you ask, you're asking God for all kinds of stuff, but it's harmful stuff. It's scorpions and snakes. You're asking so you can spend it on yourself or your own pleasure. And God says, no, I'm not going to give you something that's harmful and dangerous. He says, no. And we ought to be thankful that God says no. Does all Do our, all other prayers that don't fall into not asked or God sees fit that it's not the best? Does he say yes to everything else? Yes, he does. With two ways that can be answered. Sometimes it's an immediate right now. He says yes and you get the answer. folks, I would say far more frequently the answer is yes, but you're going to have to wait. You're going to have to wait. Because my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, and I know just the right way and time to deliver that answer. And you're going to have to trust me that I'm not saying no, I'm just saying not right now. This is a deep wrestling that we all have to experience. I've gone through this, and I've had to come to the conclusion, right? This is a settled thing for me, that there are things that I cared passionately and deeply about that I have been asking God for some of times for 10, 15, 20 years I've been already praying. And here's what I've learned and what I think God said to me is, Mark, are you okay if I don't answer that prayer until after you're gone? Are you okay if I actually answer that prayer when you die? Maybe your death is even the trigger mechanism that makes that thing begin to happen. Are you okay? Are you, can you trust me when I'm saying not yet? Not saying no, I'm just saying not yet. That was the whole story of Hebrews 11, wasn't it? They all were asking for this kingdom to come. They wanted to see this realization. And it said they all died not having received it, but they're still watching, right? They're still watching and seeing it fulfilled today. Can you and I be okay with that? Can we trust God enough that we can ask him and know he's saying yes, but he's just trusting his timing? God's given us an audacious, wonderful promise We'll put it on the screen again, First John 5, right? That when this is the confidence that we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know he hears us and whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have requested from him. May God help us to pray as Jesus directed us to pray. And then watch what God can do. Father, teach us to pray. We know the instruction, but now teach us to literally live this out. Tomorrow, Tuesday and Wednesday, God, teach us to pray according to your will. And give us the faith to believe that you will answer, that you can do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we could ask or even imagine. to your glory, to the advance of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.